Brexit. Great stuff. This is my first time on a on a podcast before. Is it? I listen to many, many podcasts of just rambling chat people. But yes. Have you been interviewed? Have you been interviewed before? Um I don't think in any real sense, no. I've been um I've never been to a therapist or a psychologist before, if we can consider that an interview. I guess we could, yeah. Just on the back of what your sister said yesterday, like it was being in a psychologist's room. Have you ever been um, interviewed maybe by a, for a job interview? Many times, yeah. But that doesn't count? I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that as a, an interview, no, because I don't really feel like at a job interview, like I'm really actually being myself mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, because, you know, you, you spend so much time before, like, creating this, like, idea of what you're going to do in that interview, how you're going to speak, what you're going to say to the person, and, like, how you're going to try and present your life, which also isn't really, like, your life, is it? I mean, it's sort of, it's your CV, but then projected with you in person. It's an edited version of you. Yeah, But absolutely. in a way, it's you, too. I, um, there's nothing... Every time I go for a job, I want to get the job, one without having to hand in a CV mm -hmm. to somebody. That would be the ideal. That would be ideal. And you know, it's surprising how often it works as well. Or even just having the CV as a bit of a, bit of like a bodge job. What is that? Like, um, you know, just like, I used to work for like a, and this it wasn't really much of a job, but when I was in, a, when I was in Sydney, I, um, I worked in this Egyptian restaurant. And I went in there and on my, uh, my CV, I put like uh, this festival truck that I work for, which was called Pimp My Fries. <laughs> and so I, I showed it to this guy and he looked at it and he saw Pimp My Fries and he just started laughing. I was like, yeah, all right, Pimp My Fries. Like, right, come back for like a trial tomorrow. That's like, it. Like, yes. <laughs> all right, well, I think that's a good introduction. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Reset chapter in English today. If, uh, if you've heard us before, we sometimes switch from one language to the other, if possible, if I, if I speak the language. My name is Igor, I'm your host. And today we have a, a British, I was gonna say a British national, but that doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. That's not a British nation. This is always a difficult thing though, when you, uh, you have to fill out your nationality on a form. It's, uh, I'd say I'm from the United Kingdom. Yeah. But you normally do put British yeah, as and, your nationality. And that's not a nation. It's not a nation, it's no. A, it's a kingdom. It's a kingdom, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a concept which no one really understands. All right, well, today we are walking in the, in the, in the hills of Beaujolais, the French countryside, beautiful French green countryside. Vineyards everywhere. Exactly, wine plantations, vineyards, that's the word, yeah. And uh, Connor is my guest today. And uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you introduce yourself. Who are you, Connor? Can you give us? We're talking about the curriculum when you go for a job interview. How? What will be your curriculum, but not for a job interview? What, do you, what will be your life curriculum? Wow. If, 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 an, if a god or a deity had to hire you for something. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. Pleasure. And uh, what an opening question. If God, a God, a God, <laughs> sure. If a God was, what, what's the position that I'm being potentially hired for? For having another life. Okay. To see, like you're a good, Woo. a good, a good soul, and you are really taking, make taking profit of the opportunity to have a a, a body and be like alive. I'm, I'm standing outside the pearly gates, you know. Well, <laughs> you're rehearsing for the big after. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's what Catholicism is. Uh, Light me up yeah, 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 and you were raised Catholic. That's the first thing we could start with. You're sure. a Catholic Brit. Well, that's so. Yeah, starting with that, and I guess that's kind of uh, it's an interesting point because I remember that first, you know, one of my earliest memories when for so I'm I'm a very young uh, in my year as well. So August birthday. So when I went to school, I was like just turned four years old, and that's about as far back as I remember. And that was a Catholic school. Um, but that was a strange, a strange experience. I was telling you about it the other day, but uh, you know, my, my parents are not Catholic and my whole life have never been, but they had this, uh, this idea that if you go to a Catholic school, the Catholic school supposedly has better grades than a normal school, mm -hmm. which Wait. is, um, 
So Catholics are supposed to have better schools. Uh, better grades, apparently. So like, there's a thing called Ofsted in England, and they're like the sort of grade regulator. And um, yeah, they uh, for some reason a Catholic school has better grades. What that means, I don't, I don't really know because I'm sure that they don't. Like, you hear so many countless stories of people who go to Catholic schools like the whole time. I didn't go for that long, but. Um, you know, like an all boy or an all girl Catholic mm -hmm. school. I'm pretty sure, like, read some statistics, like teen, like teenage pregnancy it's higher for there. all girl Catholic schools is way higher than regular schools. I guess they like get out of school and it's suddenly like, oh wow, boys, mm -hmm. let's make some babies. Yeah, yeah. Never had a decent experience before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. Um, so yeah, but I went, I went to that school until I was uh, in year what we would have as year three, the end of that. So I would have been about eight years old. Um, but as I say, my parents weren't Catholic at all, but something to do with the grades and then something to do with like my, my gran, my grandmother, who uh, was my dad's mother, who's Irish, Irish side. And despite his like completely fractured relationship with her, I feel like there was something within him which felt like a pressure from her. Within your father? Uh, within my dad, yeah, to sort of maybe, and then that probably passed on to my mum as well, of like going to the school, sending me and my older sister, not my younger sister, she was never old enough. And by the time we'd moved, she, um, yeah, wasn't, uh, we weren't at the Catholic school anymore. But yeah, I think there was something there. And I think it maybe comes into something with this like sort of ingrained Catholic guilt, like this, uh, the judgment and like, you know, the fact that my dad would have like, he, he, she wanted him to be a priest. He didn't go down that route, but he was like an altar boy for years. Obviously went to Catholic school himself. And I'm sure there was something, and there probably is still something inside of him. Dad, I hope you're not listening. Uh, <laughs> something inside of him where, yeah, he still has like a heart back to that, perhaps. So you were born there. Right. That's the origin, that's the... So anyway, so we moved down, we moved out, left Catholic school and went to like a Church of England school, which is pretty, pretty moderate. Um, but going there from a Catholic school as well, like you go to like a place like that, like me and my sister. And I remember like going into like my new classroom, meeting people. And like there's sort of, I was such a like Catholic mindset boy of kind of like, God is real and like sin and like all, the, you know, I have to pray if I you know, if want something good to happen. And then suddenly with all these kids who are suddenly like, Oh, yeah, God's not real. And I was sort of like, wait, what? This is the Church of England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is Church God, of God's England. God's not real. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, the, it says on the name of the school, Church of England. <laughs> what? Uh, so yeah, suddenly this like this, and this realization, it's a, it's a funny thing. Like, and I think, you know, like you often have that in life, right? Where you're sort of the things that you believe in as a child are often exposed through like your peers, through fellow kids. For me, it was Santa and Claus. Santa Claus. And same. I remember the yeah, big yeah. disappointment. And you know what else? I remember how naive I felt. Uh -huh. I felt, yeah. I felt almost like mm. trition, trition, tr tr like Trick betrayed, betrayed, betrayed by my parents. Like, why didn't yeah. you tell me this? Yeah. I know, mate. I remember the uh, the time when I realized that Santa or Father Christmas, as we call him, wasn't uh, wasn't real. Was in this new school, mm -hmm. and so like we we moved down there because a lot of my grandparents lived in uh, in the New Forest, uh, which is where we moved to. We moved from like more or less London, where I went to Catholic school. Churchming was in the New Forest, and we had this day like we must have had something like where like Santa comes in to the school. You go and sit on his lap and ask, you know, what what do you want for Christmas? I want this, and I go to sit on uh, his lap, and it was my granddad. <laughs> with the beard sitting there and I, I was like shell-shocked I couldn't say anything I just looked at him and he's like okay so what do you want for Christmas um, a bike nothing else just get off like heads just Let facing the ground and that's the moment you discover Santa wasn't real yeah, so what's going on here you discover that because your grandfather showed in your school yeah up in your school and I knew I knew he wasn't I knew he wasn't part of the Christmas you know like uh -huh. I could have maybe tricked myself, but I think deep down I knew he wasn't there. He wasn't the one. <laughs> so um, yeah, those those are the realizations, I guess, that you go through as a as a young child. Mm -hmm. God and Father Christmas are not real. The facades of your early world. But um, but hey, and like if we bring it back to the uh, the curriculum vitae, mm -hmm. 
you know, I think like from that point onwards, like, you know, I, I went through that school, went to secondary school, went to college, etc., um, and was living my life in like a real sort of like, I think quite angsty, like sort of teenage kind of state. I don't know what angsty means. Angsty, like uh, sort of quite a lot of uncomfortability, mm. you know, sort of classic, what we'd call teenage angst. Anxiety. Yeah, anxiety. I think a lot, of, a lot of depression as well during that period as well. Um, sort of uncomfortability with my surroundings, with the world. You know, you sort of go through these like stages of schools, quite strange environments where everyone's sort of trying to be something, be be themselves, or be oh, not already be, be themselves actually, but be someone, be someone, yeah, mm -hmm. be someone who's not themselves. And and uh, just to put it in context, you mentioned that you grew up in this. Uh, place called the New Forest yeah in the south of England yeah which is a, a small community mm -hmm. in the middle of a forest mm -hmm. which yeah. is not new yep very old it's, it's an old very old forest but it was, I guess it was new 1,000 years ago oh yeah and they kept the name yeah they're not, not good at changing names exactly they're not good at changing anything in England no they yeah have a queen and shit tradition yeah tradition <laughs> you know that song about the, the fiddler on the roof oh uh. You know that movie? Yeah, I know the I know the movie. And, and the, the, if I was a rich man, if I was a, exactly, but they have another song, very famous song, is tradition. 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 <laughs> anyway, so the you grew up there. Mm. So you are you are not a city person. You're not a city boy. No, I don't think so. But then I did always um, yearn to be in a city. I think when I was when I was going through that, when I was living in the village. I mean, I never really appreciated the forest that much I don't think when I was growing up it was kind of a place just to be and I was sort of for a fair amount of time stuck between two different worlds I stuck between where I came from which was more or less a city it was just outside of London and then also into this new place the new forest beautiful place but so you came from a you grew up you born you were born, born in a suburb I was born in a town yeah I was born in a a town called Epsom. Uh-huh, Epsom, like it's, the printers. Uh, yeah, and uh, the salts as well. Yeah, they, yeah they, Epsom also, salt, it's yeah, true. They, they come from that place. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, big up the Epsom salts. Great for baths. Um, yeah, and so... And you moved to the New Forest? Yeah, moved to the New Forest when I was about eight. Grew okay. up there, went to school there, like primary school, secondary school, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then you, when did you leave the New Forest? When I went to university. So I went to university when I was 18. I went to uh, Plymouth University, which is what we were saying. You get the boat to Santander from Plymouth mm -hmm. the overnight. Um, yeah, so I feel like, bonjour. I feel like this whole period, it feels like quite a, uh, a strange period, like to, to remember back on like that sort of school um, secondary school, college kind of period. Felt like I was more or less stuck in the same kind of, maybe like a rut or um, kind of cycle of not really feeling anything different to like this very sort of base level simmer of just kind of like quite apathetic, like I say, like angst. Uh, I was quite, I was very depressed, I think, as a sort of teenager, very anxious about my environment, about my sort of surroundings. Um, yeah, I always felt quite strange in like the school I went to, like was quite far away from, I was the furthest away you could be from the school. So it was like a 20, 25 minute bus ride. And my friends were based around near the school. So even like going to see friends and stuff was like a bit of a, a mission. Like, you know, I'd have to like get my mum to drive me or get one of my friend's moms to drive them to Brockenhurst. Um, Brockenhurst is the village. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and those kind of feelings just sort of carried on and carried on. Um, and I felt very like un unexceptional, very- Average. Very average, like not very, not confident at all in myself, where I was. Um, and then as I sort of went into university, those feelings never really 
didn't really kick on from there. They sort of stayed more or less the same. That's when I started smoking weed and becoming really just like a, I guess like a massive stoner at that point. Like I just sort of didn't really do anything else. It, when I went to university even, like, you know, a lot of people would go out drinking and stuff. I would just stay at home with one friend and just smoke weed the whole time, do nothing else. <laughs> it was just like, okay, like where, where am I going right now? Where is life heading at this point? Um, and actually like I, I really sort of attribute a lot of my sort of, I think what I feel like was a breakaway from those feelings and a breakaway of like feeling average. Uh, <laughs> I attribute a lot of it to like uh, hallucinogenic drugs. But the first time that I tried hallucinogenic drugs when I was about, I think I was 18, the first thing I ever tried was a 2CB, like a research chemical. And then shortly after that, LSD. And the period, so taking it was like an experience in itself, like the sudden sort of euphoric feelings, which I'd kind of felt before as well. But what really changed me was that sort of week after taking it or that two week period afterwards where suddenly everything was just brighter, more colorful, more alive. And then within myself more alive. And I just felt for the first time that I had this, uh, there was something inside of me which sort of thought, actually, you know what? I can have a better way and I can live in a more happy state. Just like, like more like a more, um a rediscover view of a, of a reality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just like noticed the way that I was interacting with people, um, you know, Sunny with just this sort of, this real like freedom, the way that I would just feel like I could speak to people. And it was, you know, it was confidence, but it was sort of just this, this kind of shift in mind, like how, yeah, how I can just actually just go through the world and yeah, be, be a bit more free and be a bit more uh, fluid with everything. And then that kind of subsided and then I sort of fell into a pretty bad pattern of overdoing things and then fell into a really dark place during university, like my second year. And um, I, uh, but all through that, that time when I was really like, I felt really alone, really depressed in a, in a very dark place. But I knew that something existed there. I knew there was something, uh, there was something to like tap into. And I kept trying, I kept trying to like rediscover that. And there was even like some small periods where for some reason, I don't know what happened, but I suddenly felt like for a week, I was like, oh God, like I feel that again. I can, I can get back into that mindset. I can get back into that feeling. With the help of substances or without? No, without, because uh, I, I was trying different things. I was just looking up yeah, I was used, the internet was like a great, and it, the internet is really the best source, I think, for <laughs> the non-substance sort of tapping into that energy because, you know, I would start looking at these websites, finding these websites where they would have like, you know, do this meditation practice, uh, which was quite like blind, really. I was quite blind while I was doing all that. I sort of tried to like meditate at one point, didn't know what I was doing. I just sat in my room and just sort of like concentrated on my breathing, which sure that, that is meditation. That is meditation, way. yeah. But I sort of wasn't really, didn't really feel much from it, but I was like, okay, like, you know, these are sort of some ideas that I'm interested in. Um, and then as I, um, as I came into my, my last year of university, I, uh, I then really felt like I discovered spirituality, like within myself, like it was the first time that I think I really had this idea of almost like a visualization of myself of actually, instead of like looking for the source of some greater existence, some greater being and the outside, you go inside. I, I just sort of, go, I think I just, Amazon just went like, you know, spirituality books, read The Power of Now. You know, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, Eckhart Tolle, yeah. And really this, this book like really changed a lot for me. I had a really powerful experience. I think I read the book in about four or five hours of just like sitting there like glued to it. And every time he did like a, you know, he has like a exercise to do, followed that. And just from the sort of the, the exercise of having that kind of neutrality observation of your own thoughts, whether it be positive or negative, and also the, the sort of connecting inside your own body, 
you know, to sort of have that, that sort of guided meditation, which is like, you know, to go from your abdomen to, uh, to actually sort of feel the different limbs of your body, tingles in your fingers, like really actually get out of your mind, but get into somewhere deeper below you, um, below the mind. I really felt like a big transformation from that. And then I just had this, I had this energy rush, which I don't think I've ever experienced before. And I don't think I've really had the same level since of just for weeks. Like I was just like literally like running off the walls in my house. Like I was the only one in my house for a week and I would just like run down the stairs by like jumping sort of like in my mind doing a sort of Neo matrix thing, but probably just falling over all the time. Also once put like a hole in the wall because I like just went into it. So much energy, no? <laughs> yeah, just too much energy. Like cats when they go crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, ah, fuck it. It's just a hole in the wall. I'll paper over it with like a, a picture or something. Um, and then that, that really like did a, gave me a big transformation. And I spoke to one of my best friends about it and sort of explained to him what, what it's feeling. And he said, oh, you should check out like Russell Brand's spirituality. I just typed it into YouTube and came up with this Q&A talk with uh, David Lynch, Russell Brand, and uh, the guy who was their meditation teacher for Transcendental Meditation. David Lynch, the film director yeah. who has a Transcendental Meditation School in Idaho. I think. Yeah, the foundation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the, um, what do they call that place? Like the World Transcendental Meditation, like World Peace Palace or something like that. So now I looked, uh, I listened to them and again, I was just like glued to it and instantly I just, looked up Transcendental Meditation. I was instantly hooked with that as well. Looked up the TM org. What's that? TM, uh, Transcendental Meditation. Oh. So like found my nearest teacher who was in Bristol, was a couple of hours from Plymouth, messaged her straight away. She said, I'm coming down to Cornwall in a couple of weeks. So I went to like a talk with someone else and just was instantly like, yeah, okay, sign me up. And um, yeah, and then I, I've been pra practicing that for the last, well, that was 2013, so eight years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very close to eight years. I haven't done it in a couple of weeks, but I did it this morning, probably in anticipation for this, uh, this part. <laughs> <laughs> but really that, that's been like a big, um, a massive like sort of stability rock in my life during that period. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this period from that moment or those moments in that, that time onto here, is just this sort of catapult to like be never to be again really like yeah i still have like you know i get like anxiety and depression and have shit moments but never to be in that sort of constant state of yeah numbness numbness yeah absolutely mm -hmm. yeah that state of numbness that i think i experienced for a lot of my uh, my early years and kind of everything that i've done since then i think it's just sort of propelled out of that you know just doing things which really I wouldn't even say make me feel uncomfortable I don't feel very uncomfortable with a lot of things I, think I go to a lot of places and meet a lot of people and do things that a lot of people would find very difficult to do like in terms of interacting with people and sort of not having any sort of barrier between you and a stranger to just like start a conversation and yeah yeah, because I will think I will, I mean, if I had to define you, one of the things I would say is that you are easygoing. You have an easy interaction. You are, you, I wouldn't feel you have a, I wouldn't describe you as somebody who has a hard time just confronting a stranger, as you said. Mm. So you think that's something that you've developed that you didn't had and you consciously develop or it just happened naturally? A bit of both maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily see those traits in my family so much, uh, but I don't know, maybe, I think maybe it does exist with them as well, but I think it's kind of a bit, a mix of both really. Like it's, it's developed, but it's also a conscious decision to sort of think, wow, like <laughs> all, those, all those years of like not really uh, like talking to people or being interactive. I've got like all this lost time to make up, right? Like get out into the world and just start talking to people, you know, talk to strangers, learn about people's lives, like figure out why someone is a certain way other than you and other the people that you, or other than the people that you know. That's why I love going to new places because 
you just experience a different culture and especially the people and you know we we have discussions about you know the sort of britishness mexicanness frenchness it's fascinating like why how people are similar how people are different what what makes people tick uh yeah curiosity so we we get um, to another point yeah um I, that, I don't know what god is going to think of this uh, this cv to be honest like you I, know. I was interested i was like huh he has an answer he does <laughs> have an answer but um well first of all what did you study in plymouth uh international relations and politics ah. So well, do you have the social relations included there? Sure, yeah. Let's go around the world and expand international relations one person at a time, right? What, what did you want to do <laughs> with it? I don't know. I think like when I um when I studied in a sort of college, like uh, what we call college, like the sixth form between university and school, mm -hmm. two years, I studied politics, and I thought, well, you know, that's the thing that really interests me the most um, of the subjects I was doing. So. Let me do something like that at university. So I took on this. I didn't really know much about international relations, but politics was the minor. So I was like, okay, give it a go. And also as much as anything, I wanted to like go get out. Like I was like a month 18 when I left my home, my parents' home to go to university, which is pretty young, I think, for people going to university in the UK. A lot of people will either go when they're a tiny bit older or as I said, I'm a young birthday. Mm -hmm. So like when I graduated, I was still like 20 years old and was like, okay, cool, world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but as, as the course developed, then I got more interested in the sort of development side of things. What do you mean? Uh, like a sort of development, international development, like uh, I suppose like the more social aspect of, um, of the course. As opposed as opposed to um like the business side or noisy <laughs> he loves us <laughs> sure yeah. i got the impression yeah sorry you were saying as the course developed yeah as the course developed became more interested in um bonjour in the uh the more kind of like human development aspect of like international development like sort of It's stuff that I don't really agree with, especially in the sort of models that they have of like, you know, a lot of it's kind of like white savior kind of thing. The white guilt. We're yeah, talking about. yeah, sure. So like go to like Africa, go to India and yeah. rebuild this place and tell the people like how they should be doing their life. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, wait, no, these guys have been here for like thousands of years, but we know your land better. Yeah. yeah. Build some toilets, <laughs> brush your teeth. Um, go to church. Go to church. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> God will save you for sure. But, so this really takes us to the same next question that's where when i wanted to go mm. because if we keep in that line of the world life curriculum you then um after university you started a period that's how i met you mm. of, of traveling mm. no yeah so after a bit of um a bit of a kind of a what's the word like a sort of pause no not a pause but like a delay mm. Basically, I sort of, when I left university, I was thinking about going traveling, but I also kind of wanted to like live in a place which was different to the city I studied in. I moved to Bristol for a couple of years. And this whole thing about like, as I was coming to the end of university and, you know, I was really getting this like buzz for just interaction and meeting people. I, um, yeah, I really, um, I really wanted to just, just like talk to people on like a really like high scale. So I got a job as like a, a fundraiser, like a street fundraiser. because I thought, you know what, work for a charity, raise some money. The kind of guys who stop you outside the metro. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Telling you, what's a good action you did today? <laughs> Fucker. Not my tactic. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, like literally just being like an idiot on the street. So you're just standing there and like jumping and yeah. waving at people being like, hello, stop and talk to me. Yeah. And actually I, I fucking love this job, man. Like uh, for a lot of the time, I did it for about a year and a half. Um, while I was living in, in Bristol and it really gave me a lot, you know, like I really learned a lot about myself, people, how to interact, kind of, it sounds, I mean, it's pretty bad, but like you can really get people to do things. Good. Why, and, why does that sound very bad, do you think? Well, 
There's a lot of like coercion with it. Uh-huh, like mind dripping. Yeah, you know, like mind control. It's, it's just quite interesting to see, you know, like you really can convince people. And I wasn't always sure if it was like the most convincing thing or the thing that people should be convinced about the most. But actually, I think at the time, this is more of like a post analysis of it. At the time I was very like committed. It was a homeless charity in the UK called a shelter. And um, yeah, like I, I really was like impassioned about this, this cause, like homelessness is a pretty big problem in the UK. Homelessness? Yeah, yeah, people living on the streets. Um, but also actually like the main thing that we dealt with was like families who don't have um, accommodation. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I really felt that people needed to like do this, to like give money to the charity to the point where you could probably go a bit overboard and get like, you get way too emotionally invested. And if people start saying no, which obviously happens a lot, but really if you try so hard with someone that you're just convinced is gonna do it and they say no, you know, you get kind of angry and upset and emotional and you're like, ah. That's what I, that's what I was talking about. Mm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So also not very good for the self either after a while. You start to be angry all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I started to like, started to struggle with the job at points. And, you know, we'd spend so much time going to these like little, I got to see so much of the Southwest. We go to all these little towns, funny little towns in the, in the UK. <laughs> sort of like, you know, like on my break or even while I was still working, I was like a team leader. So I was like in charge of the team going and I would like, you know, quickly like take my jacket off run into a pub just like down like a pint or have like a shot like 12 or 1 in the afternoon and, then and come then out and run back and be like right, energy <laughs> so uh you know it has its uh has its tolls on you as a as a job from time to time but then that was the point after that where you know i was in a relationship that broke down we i broke up with uh, my ex and then i was like right now is the time yeah when i met you was in this period of traveling, kind of more towards the, the end, but it was about two, a couple couple of years, two and a half years where I'd been in sort of South Europe and um, Australia and then Mexico. That was the time like, you were like, okay, movement right now. Yeah, and I, I'd done things like that before. I mean, I had sort of you know, hitchhiked around Central Europe and South Europe and fairly short how long How long were you in Australia? One year. One year. Like to the day. Exactly when you're yeah. full of British there. Uh, this was my big fear, actually. I was like, God, man, like, because I, I very nearly, as I got back from like Portugal, spent a couple of months there and um, I was very nearly going to go to California and trim weed there. But then last minute, the sort of contact I had fell through. I was like, do I do this and just go to these towns and you know hold a sign with like scissors on it or something? Or do I... Uh, try something else and my sister was like yeah you should go to Australia and so, okay changed my flight I really was afraid there would be loads of British people but that didn't happen I met like basically no British people I did when I was in the cities in the hostels but when I went into the country and I went to the campsites where it's really what I wanted to be like sleeping in nature and a bit more wild just all French people <laughs> <laughs> few Italians, few Germans. That's what we we're saying. French most, have more, mostly French. more of a countryside farmer yeah, sure. culture, and, no? And like more of probably a camping culture as well, I guess. Like not afraid to, to sleep in a tent as much. Maybe weather is better. That could be a theory, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, my experience of Australia was like very, um, probably a lot more positive than I thought it would be beforehand or what I was anticipating. But you never considered to stay in Australia to live? I did, yeah. Why didn't you decide to stay there? It's very far away from everything. And you really feel it. You feel it in so much. Like, just even like things like music and culture felt really far away. You know, to come from the UK where we have amazing, in France as well, like amazing, like just nightlife and like opportunities to go see like bands and live music and bands that you recognize and are kind of famous like internationally as well you just felt like you didn't get that at all in in australia uh and 
it is just ge geographically it's just so far away from everything well it's close from indonesia <laughs> yeah sure yeah yeah this indonesia doesn't yeah. count or what well no but like i mean from from my home from the western world yeah from from my home really you know from like my family friends like it's it's not uh it's not like an easy trip and sure you could go to indonesia very quickly you could even go to like japan and china without much too much hassle but even hawaii as well but uh yeah it was it was something i definitely considered while i was there but i think once i'd left i was like nah and i could go back for a, a second year of the the working holiday visa but again like you sort of leave there and you're like man a year is like a quite a long time yeah that's like quite a good chunk of my like my my young life at least anyway and my 20s and i had a fucking amazing time met some incredible people and the experiences were fantastic but i don't think i'd go back really not at least for that amount of time there's a lot of places i'd like to to go to and yeah that'd be a sizable chunk of time again so you arrived from australia to mexico that's where i met you spent some time in mexico and then you came back to uk right yes i was gonna say europe but no uk <laughs> it was uh, it was just about you know when i when i got back i um i flew back to like brussels and then i uh i took a bus from brussels to uh to london to victoria coach station i don't know if you've ever been to victoria coach station yeah. before it's uh strange it's a strange place it's like the end of the world it's, it's not I like all coach stations bus stations are strange yeah yeah, yeah. Sort of one below like a train station but like <laughs> i got there and it's not the place you want to go as your first stop as you get back to uk and i went to this pub opposite the uh train station that right fish and chips it's been it's been years <laughs> and they gave me this fish and chips this big plate i got a picture of it it's just like there was like a union jack flag like planted in like the chips <laughs> like, fuck's sake and i get into the coach station and there's just these like young like they're like girls really they must have been like about 20. But they're obviously mums they got like their like pram the push trolley with a baby in and she's just like screaming like, oh, fucking hell, this is like my country. I was born here and he's saying this to me. And I was just there like with my head in my hands, just like, oh God, why am I back here? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was when I went back and spent like the last couple of years there as well. The last and, like two or three years you've been there, huh? And um, yeah, that's right. And I you know, really like had a lot of, uh, especially in the, the lockdown and the pandemic, had a lot more appreciation for the UK, which I think a lot of people do. There's also a lot of shit because the people who would normally go to like Mallorca, Ibiza, you know, all that sort of Mediterranean islands and be absolute arseholes there are now going to like these really nice like spots in the UK, which feels like, you know, it should be for the good people, but they're going there and they're like trashing up the place and Kind of being absolute dicks to the locals and it's like oh god same so can you develop a little bit that that's interesting like what you said i had i had more appreciation for the uk mm. during pandemic mm. why what do you mean just like the um, the natural spots really that that we have in the uk like the because pretty much the whole time as well that i was back i was living in um, in wales i also went to scotland for about a month as well just just as soon as i got back um you mean the fact that you you got or you were forced to explore the uk instead of jumping in a plane and going away? yeah 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 mm -hmm. absolutely it was um something i hadn't considered to do so much before then um and then yeah as i say I was kind of like forced into that situation of like right i'm gonna explore these places i'm gonna go to like this this mountain range and just like wild camp in there or something or you know take a few days go for like a hike in the hills um yeah and then in a way it comes back to the conversation you were saying earlier about looking outside for this re this big realization yeah yeah and then li literally with time starting to discover that is inside of you mm -hmm. and here's the same no this mm -hmm. adventurous fantastic beauty uh discovery yeah i mean look at this view right now yeah this is beautiful it's right listeners i hope you uh you can just imagine 
the valley we're in, in uh, what's the what's the region? Beaujolais. Beaujolais. Vineyards. We're walking through a vineyard. There's grapes everywhere. It's fantastic. Little little towns spread all over the but, hills. But soon we'll have this in the UK, you know? Yeah, that's we've, what we've, I mean. We've got the vineyards coming. Global, climate change has got to benefit somebody. Well, it, everything is nuanced, you know? Nothing <laughs> is black and white. Yeah. I actually went to a vineyard recently in a, in a place uh, by the Sugarloaf Mountain, it's called. It's not a mountain. You know, what we call mountains are 500 meters tall. Mm -hmm. But we've got a we got to call them something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they had a vineyard just below it. It was my birthday, actually. We went for like a wine tasting. Um, and oh my God, man, like the wine was incredible. Red, red grapes don't grow well in the UK, but um, the white, it was like an elderflower Chardonnay, I want to say. Oh, it's really good, really, really good. And there you go, no? Like this, this, this thing about being forced to look at what's in front of you. Yeah. And there is, this, I think in English you must have this too about the green, the grass being always greener <laughs> yeah, in the course, other side. Yeah. It's a very, uh, very common expression. In all, in all nations, no, and all cultures. Yeah, and, yeah. And we've all been forced to actually like focus on the on the short term, short distance yeah. uh, availabilities and discover that there is there is enough magic everywhere, uh -huh. which is, I guess, part of the big lesson that we have to learn. Yeah, for sure. I, I was having like this thought as I was driving down, like sort of through, uh, especially as I was coming when I was off the highway and coming through um, sort of towards Lyon. I was thinking like, it's tricky really. I was thinking about how like French people like would view the UK if they go there, if they were doing the same thing as I was doing. with Driving like, through the UK. Driving through the UK, yeah. And like if, um, for me, like I had this like idea in my mind because because I've been living in Wales for the last couple of years, and Wales has a lot of villages which are really quite ugly. No offense, <laughs> Wales, <laughs> but you know, all the houses are like these new builds. There are some really cool like, old houses in Wales, like architecturally, these old sort of like stone barns with the slate. I was saying as well, they they look really nice, they feel really nice. But these kind of new concrete block kind of villages are built, and I was like. But surely, I know people would say like, they would go through the UK and be like, oh, it's beautiful. But I was like, surely just driving through these little villages now, like Macon. 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 It's a city, not a village. It's a city, right. <laughs> I just kept, kept thinking about Macron as well. It's like, oh God, <laughs> getting bad vibes from this place. But um, I was like, surely objectively, this does look nicer than these villages I experienced but then I'm sure like if people from another country went to like say the south of England like where I'm from the new forest they would probably be looking at being like wow this is like beautiful most of the houses are kind of new but you know sort of rich people build quite nice houses so <laughs> I remember in, in Manchester in the outskirts of Manchester yeah I was staying there and it's supposed to be a suburban depressed sad neighborhood mm-hmm you know all these little brick houses built in the 19th century yeah. the with, row houses with, with and chimneys coming yeah 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 in, out in the middle over there i found that super beautiful yeah yeah because i have an exotic eye and it's like red red brick kind of yeah yeah and i think that's a really nice color as well it it suits the um it suits the landscape quite well but even even with these concrete blocks and even houses the thing in a way it is for me my trick is to imagine them in a century or two, mm, you know, yeah, because sure. time makes things maybe exotic and because of that beautiful. Yeah. Like we like to see an exotic country on the other side of the world or we like to see an old building from an exotic time yeah. far away. And uh, I see all this, I see it a lot here in France with the 60s buildings, you know, these big concrete blocks that people find so awful. I found them beautiful because I see them as if I was watching a medieval castle, no? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think like people in the future will come and see this and say like, wow, how big. Concrete. Concrete, you know? <laughs> you see a medieval castle. This lost art of concrete. The, the, the castles were not meant to be beautiful. Yeah. They were meant to be a fortress, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we see them and we think about the fairy tale <sighs> shit. They weren't thinking about, you know, people in the 21st century when they built them, were they? Like, oh, I hope they find it aesthetically pleasing. Uh, yeah. These uh, the Chinese tourists that yeah. come to uh, come to France. So maybe maybe it's a matter of, of imagining it in another like like step out of of who you are in the present, no, and the yeah. culture that defines yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we, you are traveling again. You're starting a new little season of traveling, and as I I've been yeah. we've been talking for these few days, and I have the impression that I mean you have a job, 
Mm. It's an online job thanks to the pandemic mm. uh, changes in the work mode. You can work from far away. Yeah. But uh, I have the, the feeling that you are not getting ready to set up. You are kind of spreading your wings again. Mm. Do you would you say that or what what is your current status? Yeah, I would, I would say that's pretty uh, pretty on point really. Like I mean, I definitely I think definitely in the last couple of years I felt like these periods of the potential to settle into a space. No more so than probably when I was in um West Wales. I feel like often when I say West Wales it might sound a bit like ambiguous, but it's kind of like the term you know Wales is kind of like that hump or that the rump on the left side so just southwest and this little sort of corner almost like peninsula is where i was living and it's a really really beautiful place like it's um it's kind of like maybe one of the few places i think in the uk as well where it feels like it hasn't quite caught up with the modern times which is really nice like people are very old school there they're still very chatty and very like friendly mm -hmm. like you know, people will just ask you random questions. If you meet them on the street, they'll wave at you. If you just like drive past like an old man and he's gonna like wave at your car, even though he has no idea who you are, mm -hmm. and you sort of do vice versa and the car will wave at you. It's a nice feeling, huh? Yeah, and it's also like, it's like, yeah, I go to like London or something and I go to the cities and I'm like, oh, can I pay in cash? And they're like, who pays in cash anymore? And I'm like, oh, West Wales? The we, rest of the world. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're still paying in cash over there. So it feels like a place, and it's, it's, it's quite isolated. There's no, the nearest city is about an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. So um, this felt like a place where, we'll get into, this is a, it felt like a place where maybe like I could sort of settle down. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you ever have this experience. Like if I ever like, sometimes I go to a place and I'm like, oh, I've just moved to the area. And like a local person's like, oh, you're thinking of settling down then? And I kind of get this like flinch. I'm like, oh God, like probably not actually. What's a flinch? Like I sort of uh, recoil at the question. Like um, it like shoots me back a bit. You're still saying sentences <laughs> that I don't understand. Do you want another, any more idioms? Uh, no, just keep telling it in strange British ways. <laughs> yeah. It kind of, uh, it creates a reaction in me, which is sort of quite uncomfortable, I like guess. When they ask you, oh, you are thinking to settle here. Yeah, to settle down or to like live here like forever. And then suddenly I sort of think, ah, uh, actually no. Like, ah, okay. The fact that they ask you that and they, they kind of push you to say, mm. yes, I'm thinking that makes you feel like compromised or, mm. or maybe pressured or something like that. Yeah. And it creates like an image of something that I don't think that I suddenly realize at that moment, I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, that's probably not what I want to do mm. right now. Well, thanks, thanks for the question, but uh... tell me if it happens to you the same. For me, it's like this. The thing is that I I've been moving also too a lot for mm -hmm. years, maybe forever. Yeah. But and and when when I arrive to so somewhere, I think, oh, I want to settle here. Mm. That means nothing. It just means I want to settle. Doesn't mean forever. Yeah, yeah, sure. But people who've been there forever, mm. they think in that way. They think if you settle, it's because you're gonna stay here. Yeah. And they ask you from that mindset. Even in my hometown, people ask me sometimes when I go back, when I've been back, they ask me, they're like, so you're now gonna stay here for good? Mm, yeah, like, yeah, sure. I've never approached it that way, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. For good. Then I, I will know when life has already happened Yeah. and I will discover where was my place, but I'm not, I cannot decide that. I don't know how to do that. And like, the thing is like, also like, it's funny that, you know, we have, you have this reaction because the person who is asking the question is really just making small talk. Yeah. And they're not actually invested in like your, yeah, they don't care <laughs> your life decisions yeah. or anything, but you know, they're just there like, Oh, so, you know, you stay, I guess like I felt, I felt like in West Wales and I felt it was a really nice thing about the place is that probably more so people probably were more invested because like the question maybe leads on to the fact that, Oh, you're going to be a part of the community mm. or like, you know, Oh, you know, if, if something happens, if there's an event, yeah, you're a young person, you should come. Like people really like seeing young people down there. Mm -hmm. This is, this is when I lived in this, uh, this mansion. And, um, you know, we were sort of in this weird situation where there was about five or six of us who were young people, like, you know, in our sort of age range. And we all had the same ideas, the same, I think the same idea of how to live our lives, um, which was great. And it was a really like nice feel, I think, to be in that place and this idea of like setting up as a young person and also trying to make this place a bit more geared towards 
you know, kind of a good life in this really beautiful part of the world. Update, update the place. Too, update the place, yeah. And actually, it's a really good place for like a sort of food movement and that kind of thing as well. There was, like, I started working at this like sourdough bakery, um, sort of artisanal bakery. And my friend, she was working at like a sort of a, a, um, a raw milk cheese uh, place where they had a really good plan. They have this like Gouda recipe from uh, the Netherlands from like hundreds of years ago and implement, implementing it in like a Welsh style. Um, so it's a cool, really cool part of the world. But then life just kind of felt like it sort of took a bit of a different turn, you know, like uh, this thing, I started working at bakery, it didn't work out. At that moment, I was like, well, you know, I'm living so remote in the middle of nowhere. Maybe I do want to go live with some Yabi young people, or maybe I do want to go and explore some more places. Were you single? Uh, at that point, yeah, yeah, I was. That helps a lot. Yeah, sure. I mean, so more and more, I think it's not the place, is the persons you're gonna be with yeah. or the person. You're a bit more on your toes at that point, like mm -hmm. I think when you're when you're single and you've got that more sort of freedom of movement. You're like, right, well actually I can kind of do what I want to do. And it also felt at that mo a moment things were starting to we could see light at the end of the tunnel in the sort of UK sense of, you know, we've been through a really bad winter with lockdown. Brexit, COVID, <laughs> fucking hell, yeah. Well yeah, we got a few <laughs> There's a few uh, barriers to the light, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe it's like an Egyptian pyramid where it's loads of mirrors. And, you know, you're just going from mirror to mirror at the moment. But, yeah, you can see that there's like maybe a way to start. Well, for me, I think it felt like there was a way to start going back into a bit more of that freedom life. Of, yeah, going to places, spreading, your, spreading my wings, as, yeah. as you put it. So there is, there, is, there is so many subjects I would like to ask you. Um, maybe yeah. I will ask you two more things. Yeah, please. One is related to you and one is not related to you directly. Okay, great. So I'll start with the second one, the less personal one. Uh -huh. um, you're talking about, uh, you were just mentioning, you know, how it started to feel like the end of a, a more complicated, foggy time for, for life in UK, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, so what would you say, like, you are in Europe right now, uh -huh. uh, what, how, how do you perceive the UK present? Like, the, what's going on in the, in the psyche of the country, in the culture of the country, and what do you, where do you think is hitting? Mm. I think we really uh, have, like, a, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so complex, right? I mean, you know, Brexit is just it's a fucking minefield, really. I mean, we have so much like uncomfortability i think with our own place in the world and this sort of harking back to the this old like sort of empire and we've never quite shaken it off but i do feel like sometimes that's a bit um misappropriated by the left uh sort of you know colonialism still exists i mean i'm not sure if it does but we do have like a sort of sentiment towards like our old past and our status is a bit unclear and i think you know, a lot of the sort of Brexit, like kind of movement comes out of that. It also just comes out of like a populist movement, which is worldwide. You know, we see it literally from so many countries, you know, India, Brazil, America, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, like, yeah, mo most countries are going through a, a populist uh, sort of stage. Um, China, I guess. So. <laughs> All the democracies. And um, yeah, I mean, so the, the question is sort of how is the Brit Britain, the British people or Britain or just everything? I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like I was talking about Britain, but because how it impacts you as a British people, because you're you are a person before being a British. Yeah. But that's the culture, that's the language, that's the flag. That's the that's like the you introduce yourself and people see a whole bunch of things behind you. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a really interesting book that used to be in my um, the mansion house. It was called uh, Watching the English. And it's like this, uh, the sociologist's like 20 year study of the English. And it's kind of a, it's a comedy, it's a comical book, but it is sort of the truth in it. And you know, she, the author, she sort of does talk about being, uh, uh, this is sort of also true from her studies, is there's just very complex, like psyche of British people. Like British people really struggle, a lot of people really struggle with the idea of patriotism. Like we sort of, we're saying, oh, you know, like, oh, no, I'm not patriotic, you know, like, oh, it makes me the royal family, like, I'm not, not into them, whatever. 
But then, like, for example, when the football happened recently and we started to do well, suddenly this, like, this almost, like, put-down, like, sentiment, like, just explodes in people. And you don't really know what to do. And people start just getting really, like, almost like, you know, people get emotional about it. A lot of people do. They, they just drink, I guess, to, to deal with that, that sudden burst of emotions. But then all this patriotism does kind of release itself. And we start to think, like, oh, God, we love this team and we love these players and... They're really like, you know, representing what we want to be represented. And so like this, this kind of complexity, it's really difficult to pinpoint. And I think other countries probably experience this as well with British people. It's sort of like, what do British people actually want or what do they kind of believe in? Is it kind of like banging your heart, banging your chest? Like you're hitting the microphone doing uh, that. That's right, isn't it? Let me go <laughs> yeah, to the other so. side. Like, patriotism mm -hmm. or is it sort of just this sort of you know brushing it under the carpet like you know oh no we're you know we don't really care about that kind of thing yeah we, do, we don't want to be seen as like right-wing or nationalist mm -hmm. this is a very big uncomfortable thing with nationalism with british people so there's this kind of moment of uncomfort yeah you could say that yeah, i think like most of british life is uncomfort really you know it's just sort of awkwardness and like oh god like what should i be doing right now well St stiff up a lip you know just stiff up a lip just keep calm carry on get on with it but I, I will i will just finish on that as well so i think like the sort of the perception that um of british people bonjour. outside of I think a lot of people probably sympathize with British people right now, especially like a lot of people I think will understand that the government is pretty atrocious and a lot of people don't believe in the government. And I think that was a lot of the, uh, the EU sort of talk during Brexit was that young people didn't really go along with this and they felt kind of sympathy for the, for the people. And it's obviously an older generation, which is more inclined to, to, to vote for that. But I think it, it is creating more of a, a rift between cultures i would say I, i would i would imagine that i haven't really experienced that so far but i've only been here for a couple of days but i did just sort of think i was going i was like oh god like you know what people are going to think when they see like the gb plate on the car or something like the great britain yeah yeah in in europe you mean yeah yeah and they'd be like oh, fucking british you know <laughs> there is definitely a, a revival of of hardship comments i've noticed mm. um because people are hurt it's really like a breakup yeah like, yeah Fuck, I love you. Why don't you love me? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's sure, kind of sure. like that. Yeah. But uh, which in a way means it's a good thing because it means I love you. <laughs> At least there's that. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, like this is sort of constant joke now where if we refer to Europe, I think people would be like, ah, oh, you know, Britain, Britain in Europe. But it, it is like, you know, it's it's geographically in Europe. It's just the union we're not a part of. But I think it'd be, I think even like some of the most like ardent Brexiteers I still have to feel like European. It's, it's, where, it's where you're from. It's where we've always been, you know. Who did you fight with? <laughs> Who did you fight with? Yeah, more or less everybody at some point, you know. <laughs> Apart from the Portuguese. It's true. <laughs> so, like the last question, um, in maybe, maybe briefly because we already went very long. But sure, I, sure. I do want to ask this. So you are, um, and yeah, maybe it's related to the uncomfort uncomfortable repositioning of the British culture, no? Mm. The questions they're making. Maybe you're doing the same. You know, you, you are in your 28th yep. 28th year in this earth. And uh, have you heard about the Saturn revival? Um, sort of the stages or the going into a new stage. Yeah, the stage of every seven year cycles. They said, like, so when you're seven, you quit, you quit your first childhood. When you're 14, you quit your second childhood. Okay. When you, we talked about this with Tom too. Right. Maybe, Maybe this is where I, uh, where I heard it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you quit, you finish your, your 14 years, you quit your adult first, um, uh, sorry, 14, you quit your second sure. uh, childhood. The seven year cycles. 20, 20, uh, 21. You, you quit your adolescent years. Yeah. And then 28, 27, 28, around that, you finish your first round as an adult. Mm. And, and it's like the, the tryout time. Like, okay, you learned this thing. You, 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 now you know how the puppet works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're still young. And you still have energy. You still have time. You still have freshness. And you still have, like, I don't know, maybe the capacity to have illusions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
um, what... Uh, How do you mean with the, the capacity to have illusions? Because if you are older, you can have illusions, but you have less time to make them. And yeah, it just goes, sure. it's time to feel faster. Sure, sure. So you, you kind of quit a lot of things, which is also good because you clean up your mind. I, that's, the, that's, the mind that's the moment I'm, I am. I'm just realizing like my bucket list is getting shorter. Yeah, yeah, you know? okay. Uh, but before I had the project, we'll learn Russian. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, still time. Igor is... Yeah. Uh, it's still time. It. it just means I won't do other things. There's other things that I think maybe I care more, no? Yeah. Um, and they're simple things too. Mm -hmm. So if you had to describe that stage where you are right now, if you had to describe me this, this uh, reshaping of priorities and maybe this uh, re re uh, reviewing of yourself, would you would you consider that you're doing it? And if it's and if it's so, what has been the things that you have moved around or kept as a priority? I think um, yeah, and I, I yeah, I, I do think I, I agree with it really because I, I feel it. Um, I feel it a lot. I think with uh, as I approach thirty and this kind of more stabilization of self, really like. I, I think especially like the last few years have been quite a, I mean, on a, on a global scale and on a sort of external scale, but on an internal scale as well, it's been quite a, uh, quite a rough time in, in some of those periods. Also some great time, but some, some rough time in sort of mid to mid late twenties. I feel like I'm at a point and what I'm doing right now, like coming here and sort of the plan to go on as well feels like really it feels really good I think like I feel like I haven't taken to this what what I probably fear or have feared a lot is like this the idea of settling down and a bit different to like that thing I was saying about Wales but actually settling down into a job like the job I'm doing now I could just literally go for that and just do that full time and try and do as much as possible in that job but I've kind of turned away from it I'm using the job to do what I want to do but essentially, like I know at this point, and I think kind of what you've been doing, you know, your whole life up until this point, is to explore and to keep moving and to do things which really excite you and don't really become stuck in like a, what I would say is quite a majority routine for people of like, right, now's the time to buy a house. I'd like to do that at some point, but you know, <laughs> kind of on my own terms, you know, like not, not go for the sort of, uh, the quite set route, I think that, is quite often followed um and uh and yeah so i feel like kind of the period that i was going through i think in my early 20s like i'm now following the same the same actual actions which is kind of what i always would have wanted but i'm coming at it at like from a different perspective which feels feels good, you know. Hmm. So you are actually like revisiting the the mindset of the early twenties or the illusions of the twenties, early twenties, with less, with more tools. I think so. Yeah, and the mind. I think my mindset is pretty different to how it was then, but probably not on a drastic scale or anything. It's probably not that different. But yeah, I think I think with different tools. And a bit more, a bit wiser to the sort of the perils of world, of the world and kind of some of the challenges it can throw at you. And like you say, with the tools, maybe to be a bit more like, okay, well, I can maybe navigate this a bit easier now. More confidence. But yeah, more, yeah. And a bit more like self-assurance in being able to like go through that. Um, but I definitely feel a change and I definitely feel a more a lot more comfortability, I think, as I head towards uh, 30, I guess. <laughs> You're so young. <laughs> yeah, and so just to describe to the listeners who could, cannot see it, but Connor, as he speaks, he opens his arm, he spreads his arms. So there you go, those are your wings. <laughs> wanting to open. Anyway, man, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, thank you. Thank you very was, uh, much. Wasn't wasn't so sure before, I was a bit like, oh God, like, what's it gonna, what are we gonna say? What? How's it gonna go? But yeah, it felt pretty good. Everybody has something to say. Absolutely. Mm. Good luck in your travels. Good luck in your new direction. And uh, enjoy Europe. Thank you. Enjoy Europe. I will do. Thanks to all of you for listening, whatever you are, whatever you're doing. 
hope to meet again <laughs> next time, next chapter in English. Mm. Cheers!